0: Revelation 16, verse 12, reads as follows. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. Frogs. But they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. 15 says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been seen since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the Great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail, because The plague was so severe. Amen. You may now be seated. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege that we have to be here today. That we stand here today in complete adoration with the heart of thanksgiving for what you've done to redeem us. For what you've done that we have been granted justification. We believe this by faith alone in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. And we thank you for the tremendous work that you are doing through the lives of the people sitting in these chairs today. I thank you, Lord, as their pastor, that you, Lord, hold me correct as I preach today without error, but with accuracy, for your word is inerrant, it's infallible. We thank you for the power of your word and what this book means to us as we read revelation how it's a book that's intended for every generation until the end of the church age we give you the glory and the honor in jesus name amen Amen. now in the book of revelation we've been promised the blessing by god and i want you to understand this narrative given by christ himself about where this book and, and where this book Has intended to go and where it stands today and how we utilize this book to apply it to our life so that we can get a great understanding of what Christ is teaching us through the book of Revelation from Revelation 1 you read about the letter to the churches by Christ himself these 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 letters that are comforting and offering criticism and commendation. You read about these letters that come from Christ himself to these seven particular churches. And why were these letters written to these particular churches? Because these churches were being persecuted. Some of these churches were being crooked. Some of these churches were being wicked. Some of these churches were following after idolatry, adultery, sexual immorality. They were following after these. So Christ says, get it together before I come back and get it together as churches. And still today you hear about these type of churches that are still in existence, churches that don't hold to sound doctrine, churches that preach a different Jesus, churches that do all type of things to get you to give money to the church and money to the system rather than giving it back to where it belongs and that is Christ and his people. So you have these things that are happening and because the enemy has waged war against the church we are reading this book. We are understanding what this book is about. It's about Satan raging war against the seed of the woman, meaning against you all. The, the birth, the new birth, the new creations in Christ that the enemy has waged war against the church. And that is the narrative. That is what we are reading all along as we've been studying it. Why is this important for me to tell you that the enemy is coming after Christians to destroy Christians, to eradicate the church, to distort the church, to give people a little bit of truth, but a whole lot of lie that you might believe the lie and think what you are walking in is truth. And so he uses accusation. He uses deception. He uses temptation to destroy the church. He's after destroying the church. So the battle of Armageddon, when you understand that this is a war against the church and not a war, a political war. It's not a political war over a piece of land. It's not a political war over a geopolitical idea. It's a war that goes against the people of God. And it's always been that way since Revelation 1 until you come to this point where I'm speaking about the judgments of God, the comparison to the exodus story, the, the judgments that are happening at the end of the church age. They're very parallel to the exodus story, as I've explained to you last week. The first plague in, in Revelation 16, follow along with me. Revelation 16 and 1, it talks about the wrath from the, the angel of God pouring out God's wrath pouring out God's wrath in bowls and you have a description first was the sores, the sores upon the sinners the sores upon those who are a part of an anti-Christian empire those who are following and worshipping the beast that sores may come upon them because they're so full of sin that that they begin to receive sores they begin to see the results of their sinful ways, it's reminiscent to the Story in Exodus, where they received sores as well. The second angel in verse 3 says, He poured his bowl into the sea and it became like blood of a corpse, and every living thing died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became like blood. It's it's really comparison to the Exodus story when the magicians, the magicians tried to explain to Pharaoh why Moses was able to put his staff in the Red Sea and then and then it Turned to blood it was symbolic because of their sinfulness and their their killing of innocent blood that the blood the blood of innocent people would fill the waters and it would turn red so it's symbolism of the exodus story then you jump down to verse 8 The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. Remember when Elijah, the prophet Elijah, prayed that that there would be no rain and that the sun began to scorch the people who did not believe in God. It began to scorch the people where food did not grow, that there was no harvest. So it's the same story, it's the same parallel, the same judgment from the Old Testament. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and their sores. And it says they did not repent of their deeds. So just like the people of the Exodus story, where you can find these plagues in Exodus chapter 9, none of them repented of their evil deeds against God. They didn't do it then. They're not doing it now, and at the end of the church age, when these plagues and these judgments are coming upon, the people will still not repent, as I explained to you. I explained this in great detail. Finally, in 12, here we come. In 12, and this is where I'm going to cover the Battle of Armageddon, and what you need to understand about this battle, this final battle. Now, in Hollywood, just so you know, they make movies about the Battle of Armageddon, and you, you, you may know when you raise your hand, you've always been taught that it's a, it's a battle where, where here you're, you're describing and people are putting in, in um, you know, presuppositions of what they believe here. They're saying that there's going to be tanks, there's going to be Apache helicopters, there's going to be battleships, there's going to be all type of tanks and, and armies from all over that are going to come against Israel at the final battle. Now, we can read about this, and we can read about this in great detail, but we're going to show you about this place where the people are coming to battle, and where are you when this battle is taking place? Where, where are you going to be? Are you supposed to get a plane ticket and go to Israel to make sure that you are in line with Israel? What, where, where will you be? We're going to go into great detail about this. Verse 12 says this, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river euphrates now rivers and waters at that period of time are symbolic it's really symbolic of wealth if you have a great river by where you live or put it to you this way why do people like beach houses why do people like beach houses because of the beach is your house expensive even if it's a small house is your house expensive because it's by a beach Absolutely it is because of the market value because of not your house, but because of the dirty water that's in the sand that's pushed out because your house is by the beach. Your house market value skyrockets. So here I want you to get a picture. This, this river Euphrates is symbolic of people who, who use this river to trade, who use this river to get to places to sell things, and it brings in money. It brings in all type of finance. So this river, and God does, he dries it up. Now, we read about the same thing in Exodus where God parts the Red Sea so the Israelites can go through, but he dries up the middle before he releases the water back again as in judgment, as in judgment against the Egyptians. So here you read, the great river Euphrates has been dried up. It's dried up. Why it's dried up? There's no more water. People will be able to walk through it. People will be able to get to this certain destination that says to prepare the way for the kings of the east. Now, there's going to be conversion. There'll be uh, people who will not repent because this river dries up. And so you have this conflict. You have the kings of the east who are preparing the way and we're going the way because this river dried up. So God dries up the river in judgment. And the great river Euphrates is a tremendous river. And it's one where trade would come forth and trade would come back and forth, but the water has been dried up. Boats can no longer get there anymore. Monetary finances can no longer get there anymore, but it's dried up. 13 says this, and I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three, someone say three, three. spirits like frogs. Now, frogs is also the equivalent to the judgment that came upon the Egyptians as well do you remember when the judgment that God had placed upon the uh, Egypt that he sent a bunch of locusts and frogs and all kind of stuff and it was it was just it was a mess for them and so locusts and frogs and, and and but I want you to get this part here this is the part I want you to get this is a spiritual battle This is a spiritual battle. Again, let's read it again. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. Here you have a picture of the unholy trinity. It's an unholy trinity. See, Satan always tries to counterfeit the things of God. So he has a beast and he has a false prophet. He himself running all things behind the scenes as a dragon as described here. But there are three unclean spirits like frogs. How many of you like frogs? I don't see any hands raising up. Maybe the little kids like frogs. What do you like frogs for? You know? You look at the little slimy frogs and the chirping. They're just nasty and they're slimy and they're just disgusting. But there are three spirits like frogs. Verse 14 says, For they are what? Demonic spirits. And these are demonic spirits performing signs and wonders in the spirit realm that translates into the natural. And they're performing signs and wonders who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God, the Almighty. So here you have the translation. You have a couple of translations through um, eschatology and people who believe like um, classic dispensations believe that this is a gathering of all the armies of the world that assemble in this one location to come against Israel like Israel itself as Israel um, but as we are taught in the book of Galatians because if I, if I tell you that it's coming against Israel and the nation of Israel alone you have to believe that maybe all of Israel is saved that maybe all of them are Christian. Maybe Israel is, is a safe haven. haven is, it's a place that's, that's beautiful in Christ. But we know that Israel is not. Because when you go to Israel and you are there in Israel, there are a lot of unbelievers who are in Israel. There's wars and fighting going on. Who, who People who worship not the God that we serve. And they don't believe in Jesus there. A lot of them do believe in Jesus. We believe in Christ. But the Bible teaches us in the book of Galatians that we are the God of Israel. We are the, we are the Israel of God. That right. we are in Galatians. That's what it teaches us. That, that you are the seed of Abraham in the book of Romans. That you now are Israel. You are Israel. Now we know that God is going to save people of, of, of Jewish ethnicity. That God is going to do this. And he has done this very thing. There are a lot of Messianic Jewish people where people believe in the Christ that we serve. There's people that believe that Jesus, Jewish people that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Do you understand that they don't believe, there's Jews that don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he hung on the cross as a criminal, that he was a heretic, that he was a liar, that he was someone who was a blasphemer, they still believe that to this very day. But us, we believe he's the Messiah. We believe he is their Messiah, the one who would come to save Israel. But in teaching this here, it's sort of different because they tell you that, well, Remember, look, as Christians, you have to line yourself up with Israel, the nation of Israel. You have to line yourself up with Israel. If you're not lined up with Israel, then you're in trouble. And that's what a lot of them teach. That's why you have websites all over that says, United for Israel. America united with Israel. Now, you have to remember that not all of Israel will be saved, as it teaches us in Romans 9 through 10 through chapter 11. That not all of Israel will be saved but that you are Israel. You here being believers in Christ are the Israel of God. And so we we need to get a greater understanding of that that this here in in 14 it begins a spiritual battle against the people of God, a spiritual battle against the church of God, a spiritual battle that comes against you personally. And why is this so effective and why do we understand, why do we need to get this and realize this because if this is only for the generation of 2050 or 2060 or whenever they feel like this great battle is going to take place, that there's many things that need to take place. And why was this, was this book not intended for the people who lived in the Old West? Was this book not intended for the people who lived in medieval times? Was this book not intended? Could they not be blessed by reading this book? Of course it is. This book has, has been written for every Christian, every church age through, through, through the past, presently now. That we can read this book and be blessed by it. That we can read this book and apply it to our life and understand that what this battle truly is. It's a battle against the church. And the enemy has been doing this since Genesis chapter 3 when you read about the seed of the woman bruising the head of the devil. And so he's been after and after the church. And he continues to come after the church. So watch this. In 14 it says this. Behold, I am coming like a thief I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Who is John referencing here? Who is he talking about here? He's talking about the believers in Christ. Those who are saved. Those who are serving the Lord. Those who are... He's telling, don't be caught slipping. Because the enemy's coming to destroy you. And don't be slipping. Don't be going back into sin... Don't be hanging out with the same people you've been hanging out with. Get right, stay right, and be ready. Yeah. And so you're like, he's, he's saying this thing. He's not saying, behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who goes to Israel. Blessed is the one who joins the Israeli army. Blessed is the one that goes and gets a ticket and, and gets down to Israel. Because you need to because I'm going to come against, the enemy's going to come against Israel, so you need to make sure you're lined up with Israel when this great battle place, so if this great battle takes place in Israel, and and this war is waged in the in what they call Megiddo, if it's waged there, well, where are the believers of God who are serving the Lord? Where are they here in Arizona? What are you going to? Are we going to be watching it on TV? Are we going to be watching it on CNN? Well, the belief is, and this is the common belief for a lot of churches that teach this, that we're not going to be here for that. We're not going to be here for that. Because we're not going to be here for that. And, and, and whatever's going to happen is because America will be vacated. The rapture will happen because America is so great. America is not like Sodom and Gomorrah. America is so great, the people the people, will be, will be taken out of the world that the only people that will be left will be the people that will fill up this mountain that are coming against God's people. And so we're the only ones that will be left there and we have to be there. So my belief is this. And this is where it always gets tough when you, when you share your view about eschatology. Now I tell you, we can disagree on some things and we can believe and, and make sure that we believe on the fundamental things. Christ is coming back, yes? yes. Do you know the day or the hour? No. no. Are you to be ready? Yes. yes. Will it all make itself out in the end? Yes. Absolutely. Does Jesus get the victory? Yes. Is the church redeemed? Yes. 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 Or will we be in heaven for all eternity? Yes. Worshiping God. So all the other details really pans out itself. But here, this battle is supposed to ascend in a place called Armageddon. Let's continue to read. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake. Meaning the Christian, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Be ready. Be ready because this great day of the Lord is coming. And we don't know the day or the hour. Verse 16 says, And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called... Armageddon. This is the only time you'll hear or, 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 or read this word in the Bible. In Hebrew, it's called Armageddon or it's called Har Megiddo, H R Megiddo, meaning the mount of Megiddo. But a lot of them make statements and, and they believe that it's called the valley of Megiddo, like it's down in the valley. But here it's translated in Hebrew as Har Megiddo, meaning it's a mountain. This is a place where God will be, God's people are supposed to be symbolically on a mountain. On a mountain, as everyone, spiritually, demonically, all the forces of evil will come against the people, come against the people of God to destroy the church. And so we read this as Har Megiddo. not a valley of Megiddo, but Har Megiddo. It's referenced and symbolically, it's supposed to be referenced as. Mount Zion. Mount Zion is where the people of God are. Mount Zion is what we talk about Zion. You ever hear the people talk about Zion? You ever wonder what that was? They say Zion. Zion, which is symbolically of the people of God. So here the people of God are assembled and the enemy is coming to wage war against the people of God to destroy the people of God. But it's taught in many circles as this way. The battle of Armageddon is as an actual valley called Megiddo. And that's where Israel will be. Israel and the armies of Israel will be by themselves. Russia will come marching down, China will come marching down. We don't we don't they don't, they don't say where America is. They don't tell us where America is going to be, but they say that all these countries are coming against Israel to destroy the nation of Israel. But some people say that a lot of these people will come down, Russia, China, and all these kings from the east will come down to to assemble against God. Like they're waiting for God to come down as if Apache helicopters and tanks have a chance against God. So they say, we're going to gather there. This is what, this is what's going to happen. We're going to gather there and we need to support Israel because we're going to gather there and it's going to crush Israel. They're going They're waiting for God to come down and we're going to war against God. Now, you can believe that or you can believe that this is a symbolic... Not a literal meaning, but it's like, it's like, it's like symbolically what you're reading about is Satan waging war against the people of God, against his church. He's coming for one final sweep through to see who he can take out before the Lord returns. Before the Lord returns. This is where they assemble. And this is where they assemble. Let me show you something. I want you to go to Zechariah. I want you to go to the book of Zechariah. And we're going to read chapter 14. It's right before the New Testament. It's not too far from the New Testament. It's after Ezekiel. I'm going to show you something here. This is more of a mountain, not a valley. You there quicker than I am. All right. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3. Are you there? Watch this. I believe this is Israel Zechariah 12 verse 3 I'm going to read verse 1 it says the oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel thus declares the Lord and who stretched out the heavens and found the earth and formed the spirit of man within him behold I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples the siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah Verse 3, here it is. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. And all who lift it will surely hurt themselves. All who lift it will surely help themselves. And all the nations of the earth will gather against it. Israel, coming against Israel. It doesn't say the valley of Megiddo. It says coming against Israel, coming against the people of Israel, coming against this nation, which is symbolically as Mount Zion, which is the people of God. Go to verse four, chapter 14, and I'll show you this, verse 14. Verse, verse 1, it says this. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations where? Against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses plundered and the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Here it is. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations when he fights on a day of battle. And on that day his feet shall stand on what? The Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. So that one of the half of the mountain shall move northward and the other half southward. So you hear this description of a mountain. A mountain. A mountain. So it's Har Megiddo, H-R-Megiddo, not a valley. Symbolically of God standing on the Mount of Olives. Symbolically of the enemy coming against God's people. Symbolically meaning that the enemy will come and wage war against the church. Wage war against the people in the last days. To destroy the church at the end of the age. But God is going to rescue his people. God is going to save his people. He's going to come down, as we read in the book of Revelations. He will come down and the, the the entire world will see him. Go back to the book of Revelation. I want to show you that this is a, an allegiance that we have for Christ. And not so much an allegiance as a lot of people will teach you. As in some way it's going to save you. That you being, and it's part of workspace salvation as well. You being In your sin condition and you understanding who you are and god has saved you and sealed you with the holy spirit but yet other people will worship the beast and they'll follow the dragon and they'll follow the false prophet and they'll do all these things where they can't either buy or sell or do anything because they're following after the ways of the world because they're not following after christ but they're following after the ways of the world so you read about that here and so here you have this incredible battle against god's people coming against god's people but it's against the people. It's not so much the nation of Israel as it's a piece of land. So you need to line yourself up with the nation of Israel and the people who don't believe in Christ and the people who don't serve the Lord and the people where it's just like, and if you've ever been to Israel, if you know anything about Israel and the, the stuff that goes on there, it's not the holiest place. It surely isn't. But what about you? Where, where are you going to be on this great day? If it's at a location, where will you be? Where will you be? Now, we understand that this is a battle against the church. This is a battle against you. That this is a daily battle for you and some of you. Some of you are stronger than others. But a lot of us are sort of going through the motions and we're struggling in our faith and we're struggling in our walk with God. And we're falling victim to temptation. We're following to, the, to this demonic, these, these, this unholy trinity, this counterfeit trinity. We're falling victim to their schemes. Now, remember, I want you to remember who you are in Christ. You are the Israel of God in Galatians. And Romans says that you are engrafted into the family, and you are the seed of Abraham, so you belong to the family of God. Romans also tells us that not all of Israel will be saved. So we know there's a lot of unbelievers there. But I want you to get this uh, apocalyptic image of what's happening in the end times against the church of God. It's a vision that makes war against God's people. And I want you to get that. So Armageddon being Armageddon, translated can be Mount Zion, which is where the people of God will be. So if, if the people of God are, are, are surrounded and the people of God are with God, who's going to come against them? The enemy will come against them to try to destroy them. Try to destroy them in this final battle. This one last battle that the enemy has against the church. Because his time is running out. His time is is dwindling. Have you ever seen the hourglass? When you turn the hourglass upside down and the sand begins to go down. Well, the enemy, it's like that for the enemy. He knows his time is short. So he has to do what he can to destroy the people of God. He has to do what he can so that you don't make an impact to those who don't believe. Because if you're, if you're walking and you're beat up and you're guilty and you're walking around in the flesh, you're not going to share the gospel. You know why? Because you're going to feel like, I'm not worthy to go share the good news, man. I'm all messed up myself. What am I going to do to help this person? But it's not your story. It's the story of God that saves the people. It's the gospel that saves the people. And so we, we have to understand who we are in Christ. That the enemy is... This is great. That's fine. That the enemy is waging war against the people of God. And this is one final battle that he will utilize to destroy the people of God. Why is this important? Why is this important for you to understand this and why we can give thanks to God? Satan is a counterfeit. Everything that you see is a counterfeit. You know what's a counterfeit to the church? The club. Why is that? You know what's a counterfeit to the church? The bar. You know what's a counterfeit to the pastor? The bartender. You know what's a counterfeit to the people of God? The people that think they're saved and they're not. There's people out walking around that think they're saved because they said a prayer and they're walking around think they're saved. And they're living the way they've been living, but they're not saved. They received a counterfeit. When someone is saved, they live saved. When someone is saved, they praise. When someone is saved, they worship. When someone is saved, they are totally transformed and you know it. Especially if you know somebody's story. And so this final battle is the battle against the church of God to destroy the people of God and to end Christianity, to eradicate it, to destroy them. And he's using, it's a spiritual battle and it's one that we are facing every day. We face this every day. Now I want you to go to the book of Titus and I'm going to share this with you because of the book of Titus and what we need to understand. Because God sustains us and he takes care of us. Go to the book of Titus It's right before Philemon. It's right after 2 Timothy. Go to the book of Titus. And we're going to be at verse, chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Young people here today, this is the battle that your moms and dads go through. You as a young Christian and as a young believer are always going to go through but God sustains us. And I'm going to read this to you. This is our battle. This is, this is what we wage war, who, are, who we are at war with. We're at war with the flesh and we're at war with the world and we're at war with the devil. Three things we're at war with. But your biggest fight is your own flesh. That's the biggest fight. And the spiritual fight is something that we want you to prepare for, that we prepare your parents for, On a a weekly basis Sunday is one day And then Monday and then Wednesday and Friday And then we try to get them strong enough So that they can share what they need to share with you And you may get tired of it But You're going to be thanking them one day Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says this This is Paul Writing to Fellow laborer in the Lord Titus Says this For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, all of God's elect, translated, all of God's chosen. Let me read that again. For the grace of God has appeared. What does he mean? It means that your mom and dad got saved, something happened, they heard the gospel, and they fell on their knees and called out to Jesus. And they realized that wrath was on their life, that judgment was coming, but Jesus paid the price. Amen. Bringing salvation for people, that's our lead into communion. Amen. Chapter 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Now, I, I understand you being young people and some of us as older people, it's hard. It's hard. What, what, what do we call to do? Renounce You know what renounce means? Turn from it. I don't want nothing to do with it anymore. Renounce ungodliness and to accept what is godly, righteous living. So training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. What are worldly passions? What is that? What are worldly passions? I'm like, what do you mean worldly passions? Well, anything anything that you worship that you place in front of God, anything that you do that's opposed to God is a worldly passion. All the stuff that you can imagine and think of is like a worldly passion. It's got nothing to do with God. It's got everything to do with your self-fulfillment is a worldly passion. You're in the world or you're not in the world. Well, here's a a quick description of it so you can get this. People are at a lake, and people like the lake. I know there's quite a few people here. You like lakes and stuff. I'm not into that. But I know you all like lakes and all that mosquitoes and stuff. And you're there kicking it at the lake. And you are, and I'm I'm describing somebody in the world now. Somebody at the lake. Six pack of beer. Fishing pole. Worldly music playing. Kicking it. Enjoying it. Filthy talk. Talking back and forth. Smacking it. Just talking all kind of crazy stuff. Filthy stuff out your mouth. Now, that's a worldly thing that's going on there. But across the lake, same people, some different people, believers, enjoying the lake got a six-pack of Coke, got their fishing pole, fishing, and talking amongst themselves about how God, who good God is or, or what God is doing in their life, it's a, it's, a, it's a stark contrast from one people living in the world and one people living for the Lord, but enjoying the same creation, enjoying the same creation. It's a worldview that's far different. So the enemy wants to distort your worldview. You have to have a Christian worldview, not a secular worldview. That's where you fight the worldly passions. A Christian worldview. Let's continue. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. To live self-controlled. How can we live self-controlled? That means... You are no longer the person you used to be. You have the power of the Holy Spirit that controls your tongue, that controls your sinful nature. You have the power of the Lord in you, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, which helps you to control your behavior. And you are upright and godly lives in the present age. In the age that we live in, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Our battle is a daily battle. Because of the enemy who wants to come against the church His final battle at the end of the church age Is to destroy the people of God So that we are not walking like what was written to Titus And we should be walking this way I want to show you one last scripture And then we're going to thank God And we're going to have communion together And this battle of Armageddon I want you to go to 1 Peter Just for those of you who as Christians Go to 1 Peter It's a few pages, it's right after James Go to 1 Peter chapter 4 I'm I'm going to read this to you here Just so you're well aware of what's happening in your life as a Christian. Chapter, 1 Peter, chapter 4, verse 12. Say amen. 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 Okay, just so you know that there's war being waged against all of you. That you need to be strong in the faith. You need to be strong in the Lord. You need to pray. You need to read. You need to fellowship. You need to be with people of God who are going through the same things that you were going through to strengthen each other now here, why? it's because you are in a battle you are in a spiritual battle daily the battle of Armageddon this one final sweep of the enemy coming against the church and battling against the people of God but we are protected because of God we are protected because Jesus is on the Mount of Olives because Jesus protects the people of Mount Zion which is us Amen. verse 12 says this beloved, this is Peter now Peter writing to the, to the Christian Believe, beloved, do not be what? Surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you so when us as Christian followers of Christ are suffering and we're going through something praise God for it because it's part of your life and the journey that you have been given with Christ Jesus so don't be like what, what has this happening to me for? Well, why am I going through this? because you've been saved because you've been justified, because you've been redeemed, that's why you're going through it, so that the enemy has waged war against you, so you will be ineffective in ministry, so your life will be so messed up that you won't share the good news, you won't pray with nobody, you won't do anything because you'll be ineffective in your walk with Christ. But, but if you know this is coming, and you, and you put on the gloves, and you are ready to fight, you're going to go through it. It says nothing but the enemy coming against me. That's why I'm going through this very thing here. Let's continue, and then we're going to pray. Verse thirteen. But rejoice, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And it rests upon you. The enemy will attack you with accusation, temptation, deception. And it will draw you away from your calling that God has placed you. He's waged war on you. You need to be aware of this. This symbolic battle, last battle that the enemy will wage war against the church. The battle of Armageddon. The battle against Israel. The battle against the Israel of God, meaning you, Har Megiddo, or Mount Zion, the people of God. Let us pray as we open up the tables here for communion, and it will end with communion. You will come forth as a believer in Christ. Take the bread first, because the body was given first. Jesus incarnate, God in the flesh, comes in the flesh, in a human body, fully God and fully man, is beaten, is wounded. For, ours, for us and our, and our transgressions and our iniquities against God, Christ comes in the flesh. And he suffers for us. Then he is, con- he is then condemned to die and hung on a cross where blood is shed so that we have our sins forgiven you being a Christian believe this should come forth and participate if you don't believe this and you you don't understand what's going on this is not a time for you to get up and just come and take it you need to understand why we take communion that God had come to pay our sin debt and that because of his work in the person of Christ, that we are free of God's wrath. God's been propitiated. And that we receive eternal life and forgiveness of sins. But more importantly, we've been justified. We've been justified because of Christ. If that's you, you need to come forth. And we'll start from over here and then the middle and finally over here. But for those of you that don't understand, you should just remain seated. It's not a problem. That's between you and Christ. But if you know Christ and you know what he's done for you, this is a time where we come together as a family and remember the sacrifice that the, our Lord Jesus made for us. Come and partake of the elements and then we'll pray together. This on this side is the wine. This is the grape juice. Take it together, hold it, and then we will pray and then we will end service together.